a high priest who carried our diseases and our sicknesses and struggled with every human emotion that we struggle with so that you can relate to what we're going through. And then the word says, Lord, that you went to the cross and paid that we can be set free. So this morning, for every issue that is represented here today, for every sickness, for every confusion, for every relationship issue, for every fear, we just boldly come now because the price has been paid. You took care of that for us. So Father, we come now to receive according to the instructions in your word to receive what you've already paid for. Thank you for going before us, Jesus, and shedding your blood so that we could be set free. And now give us the courage to reach out to you and receive that. Do great things among us in this place. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we know that you have something to say. I pray that we might hear that by the Holy Spirit. Our hearts and minds could receive what you have to say for us. Then we might be transformed. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for being here. I know there are a lot of different reasons people have for coming to church on Easter Sunday. Uh, Maybe you just come every week. It's just a habit, part of what you do in that school. Um, Maybe you're here because you're curious. Or maybe the better word is skeptical. And you're, you're honestly, sincerely investigating the claims of the gospel. Or many of you that don't normally come, I suspect you're coming just to get the nagging family member off your back. <laughs> that overbearing coworker in the next cubicle. But whatever the reason, I, it's my task today, as I understand it, to address this question, what's the big deal about Easter? And we're going to stay around this one verse of scripture in John eleven twenty five 25 that you see on the posters all over the building where Jesus speaking said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, again, whatever reason you have for being here today, I've got stunning news for you and it's this. Jesus wants to show up and invade your current reality and transform your circumstances to accomplish two things. Number one, Jesus wants to untangle your past, and then Jesus wants to pull from the future into your present circumstances to give you hope. Several years ago, I got a a call from a family in our church. Dad, Grandpa had terminal cancer, and had been sent home to die, and then wanted me to come. So when I got to the house, this gentleman was in his recliner, and he was not responsive at all, and it was very obvious, even to someone untrained like me, that he was about to draw his last breath. So I prayed with the family and held hands with them, and we cried together, and literally stood around that man's recliner waiting for him to die. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know every breath is a supreme effort, and it's ragged, and it's painful, to the point when 
this man finally drew his last breath and relaxed. It was a relief for the family. Now, the reason I tell you that awful story today is because I want us to get an idea of what Mary and Martha were going through in John chapter 11. And if I can give you some context, in John chapter 10, Jesus had been teaching around Jerusalem, and his teaching was so um, confrontational that the religious leaders literally took up stones to kill him. So Jesus and his disciples went away to the wilderness east of Jordan to, to kind of get away from the pressure, and all the people followed him out there. So Jesus is out in the desert teaching and healing people when he gets news that his good friend Lazarus is dying, very sick. Now, let me also give you a little backstory here. Jesus, in his itinerant ministry, had several kind of outposts or homes where he knew that he could go and rest and they would support him and provide meals for him and his disciples. And one of those homes was in a little town called Bethany where Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus lived. Jesus loved these siblings and they loved Jesus, even to the point where the scripture says that Lazarus was Jesus' dear friend. That's why the disciples were confused when Jesus didn't move. He got this report that Lazarus was about to die, and he just hung out. And, and Jesus knew that there was an issue with his disciples, so he tells them, guys, Lazarus' death, or Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. It's all part of God's plan. Now, sickness that's part of God's plan is a very sticky theological issue that we'll deal with on another Sunday, not today, Okay. But after waiting around for a couple of days, Jesus finally turned to his disciples and said, okay, guys, let's go to Bethany. Now they're freaking out because they said, Jesus, last time we were there, they were trying to kill you. And Jesus said, yeah, but Lazarus, my friend, is asleep and I need to wake him up. And then Jesus' disciples said, well, if he's sick, sleep is the best thing for him. Let's not wake him up. And I can almost see Jesus rolling his eyes like my wife does with me when I don't get it sometimes. And Jesus finally told them, look, guys, Lazarus is dead, but you will not believe what you're about to see. And so Thomas, one of the disciples, we'll know shortly as doubting Thomas, said, okay, guys, let's go die with him. We knew this day was coming sooner or later. So now we're looking in John chapter 11. In the scriptures today, I'm going to read to you beginning of verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, I don't want to read a whole lot of scripture. Let me set the scene for you here. Jewish tradition prescribed 30 days of very heavy mourning when a family member dies. That's why there were many Jews in the house. They even hired professional mourners sometimes if there wasn't adequate grief. 
So the house is full of people weeping and sorrowful. And, and Martha and Mary, the sisters, I can see them watching out the window any moment expecting Jesus to show up, hoping her brother holds out long enough. Well, he doesn't. So when Martha gets news that Jesus has arrived, she rushes out and first thing out of her mouth, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, after a conversation with Jesus, Martha goes back to the house and tells her sister Mary, pulls her aside and says, the teacher is here. He's asking for you. That's John eleven twenty eight. 28. That's back to the scripture on the cross back there. So Mary goes out to meet Jesus. And this is what I want you to see. Mary falls at Jesus' feet and the first words out of her mouth are, Lord, if you'd only been here, our brother wouldn't have died. The exact same thing her sister had said. Now, that might have been true. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But it might not be true. Because what I have found in serving Jesus for a long time, sometimes he answers the prayers like I want him to, and sometimes he doesn't. God is kind of stubborn that way. And doesn't seem to, to go along with what I had in mind, my plans and hopes. So Martha and Mary had great confidence in Jesus' power to heal. Here's the problem. Their confidence was back there in the past, not in the present. And I get it. They've desperately been trying to keep their brother alive. There's no 911 to call, so their entire hope is looking out that window, waiting for Jesus to show up. And the idea that Jesus might wait a day or two before coming was inconceivable to them. And so once Lazarus died, so did their faith. Now for many of us, there is a thing in our past that tends to define our faith. And it's not that we don't believe that God has the power to heal. We know that he does. Our problem is we cannot reconcile the pain and the darkness we're struggling with with the image we have of an all-loving, all-healing God. And so we struggle because it seems like sometimes Jesus chooses to ignore our suffering. Well, can I tell you, please, that it's a terrible mistake to define God by what's happened to you in the past. And yes, God can change our circumstances, and many times He does. But a lot of times, God prefers to use our circumstances to shape us. And the lesson there is our character is more important to God than our comfort. God wants to redeem your past and utilize your past, not always deliver you from your past. But I can tell you that God wants to untangle your past. The second thing we learn from this story is that God wants to invade your present. Back in John chapter 11, this is verse 21. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now watch this. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Okay, this is what I call coffee cup theology. This is what you see, the pithy little spiritual platitudes that we put on bumper stickers on our car. You can go to Mardell's and buy a t-shirt that has one of these little coffee cup theology phrases on there. Or I also call them Sunday school answers, right? What you're supposed to say. Here's the problem. I believe that God hates coffee cup theology. 
Let me tell you why. It undermines the gospel and it demeans God in the eyes of the people he's trying to draw to himself. Can I just say to you as nicely as I can that God does not need you to defend him or to explain his actions because God's actions are not just beyond explanation. God's actions are beyond comprehension. And when we reduce God down to something that we can explain on a coffee cup. Now I understand that you've been in situations where you want to help someone whose world has caved in on them or someone you really, really care about. Their, their present circumstances are a dumpster file. But when somebody's world falls in on them, when someone is expressing sincere doubt about the reality of God, I'm just telling you, your coffee cup theology is not helpful. Well, you know, you probably had that flat tire because God knew there was a wreck just up ahead and he was keeping you from that wreck. Or maybe you just had a flat tire. Here's the one that gets me, and I've heard this at many funerals. Well, you know, I'm sorry that your loved one died, but God needed another angel. Stop. And it seems like in this part of the world, it's central kind of America, Bible Belt, we're really, really bad about these little spiritual platitudes. Because pretty much everybody you talk to has prayed the sinner's prayer at some point. And pretty much everybody you know is member of such and such church. And if you look, coffee cup theology is all over their Facebook thing. What do you call it? Their Facebook feed, feed, news feed thing. But you work with them and you know that their lives exhibit zero evidence of a sacrificial followership of Jesus Christ. The fruit just isn't there. And, and here's where it's really danger for those kind of people, quote-unquote Christians, in the present. It's because most of us are going to change as soon as this one thing is over. Oh, as soon as I graduate, then everything will be okay. We have just a couple little things to work on here in our marriage, and then we're going to be great. There's one little financial thing I'm going through. As soon as I get through this... So what those people are actually saying is, I don't need God to invade my present because I've almost got things worked out on my own. Why would I need God? Yeah, you've been saying that for the last decade. If I just get through this one thing. I said this last week and it bears repeating. Once in a while I say something really good, so I'm bringing it back this week. Jesus didn't conquer death only to give us eternal life. Jesus conquered death to give us abundant life. He wants to invade your present and change your circumstances for his glory. And finally, number three, I want you to know that God wants to borrow hope from your future. This is good. John chapter 11, look at verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now this declaration of Jesus creates a massive problem for you and me. 
Because if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he cannot be just a good moral teacher. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then he is the solution and the only solution to the sin problem that you and I inherited. If Jesus is the resurrection, the resurrection and the life, then he has drawn a line in the sand and now we must decide whether that's true or false. Yes or no. We have a choice to make. And Martha's response is accurate as far as it goes because it's completely insufficient. This is what Martha said. Jesus, I believe your message that my brother will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So the problem with Martha's belief in Jesus is totally connected to some future event out there. Hard for us to live on because it's way out there. But Jesus said, I'm the resurrection, but I'm not just the resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And this is where Jesus pulls Martha's future hope into her present reality. Let me tell you what I mean. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he has invited us to follow him into this resurrected life. And what that means is there is a life experience here today in this world that's much better for a Christ follower than it is for someone who's not following Jesus. And that's not to say that, that Jesus' gifts, God's good gifts, aren't available to everyone because they are. Anybody, whether you're a Christ follower or not, can enjoy creation. Everybody sits down to a good meal from time to time. Everybody loves the smell of a new baby. But the difference is when you know Jesus, you know the source of that joy. These are, we really, really can't explain it very well, but we use words like joy and fulfillment because we understand that the God we serve is behind it all. Life is more meaningful for a Christ follower because of gratitude. We understand that God loves us and has redeemed us. And what we live in here, what we see here, is simply a foretaste of the world that God has prepared for us. How sad for people that do not know Jesus and this life is all they have. That's all there is. All right, going on verse 33. Are you okay? Hang with me. I won't be very much longer. Verse 33 in John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Okay, for those of you that were not raised in church, let me just pause here a minute and give you a little Easter bonus, my gift to you. If you have a King James Bible open on your lap, the one we always read when we were kids, 
In the King James Version, Martha says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) I love that. I can't help it. Now, we we don't throw around the word stinketh often in 2023. But Roger and I shared a bedroom when we were kids, and I promise you, we were hurling stinkeths around all the time. Part of what we did. Okay, I'm sorry, where was I? Oh, yes. Here's what I wanted you to see. I am amazed by Jesus' tenderness toward their doubt. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha said, I'm not sure that's a great idea, Lord. Now, I would expect Jesus to rebuke her. You just said you believed in me. If I was Jesus, that's what I would have done. Martha, I had such a great surprise in store for you and you ruined it. That's what I would have said. But he didn't. Jesus got down into their grief with them. Look at verse 40 in John 11. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? This is so good. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out of the tomb, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Question, how do Mary and Martha feel now? You see, they'd been agonizing with their brother in his pain, hoping against hope that somehow Jesus would show up before it was too late. And when they didn't, watch this, when Jesus didn't show up, they didn't abandon their hope. They just postponed their hope. Well, maybe it'll be okay someday. And Jesus came and Martha said, I know that that my brother will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you believe me, you would see the glory of God? I am the resurrection and the life. This is great news for all of us struggling in the tension between the now and the not yet. For those of us whose present isn't what we hoped maybe it would be. And that future promise is just really too far off to affect my current circumstances. Well, I want you to know that Jesus wants to come into your current circumstances today, right now, and redeem them and bring real life, abundant life, into the life you're living now. If, verse 40, you just believe, if you'll just believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if you'll just believe that he conquered death and rose from the grave, then, Jesus said, you will see the glory of God. All right, let me close with this. A lot of preachers spend their Easter Sunday sermon trying to prove with imperial evidence the historical factuality of the resurrection of the dead. And I absolutely believe that the resurrection of Jesus is a provable historical fact. The problem is people's lives aren't changed with historical facts. So I'm going to tell you one more story. Have you got time for one more story? Thank you. <laughs> Scared me there for a second. This is, uh, this is going to weird some of you out, but I'm going to take a risk. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he was a big deal. 
And everybody heard about him, and a lot of people saw him. But I want you to know, a lot of people believed that Jesus was the sent one and decided to follow him without even ever meeting him. But everywhere Jesus went, he raised a huge ruckus. So in that Passover celebration around the crucifixion, it was a major deal. I mean, it was chaotic. So now here they are hearing the rumors that maybe Jesus had risen from the dead and they didn't know what to do at all. Luke 24 tells us a story about two Christ followers who that the very day that Jesus rose from the dead had heard the rumors and now they were leaving that Passover celebration going back home to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're walking along the road just chattering about the headlines, about the news. The Bible says while they were walking, Jesus just showed up walking alongside them and yet they were prevented from recognizing him. So Jesus, I love this. Jesus asked them what they're talking about and they said, haven't you heard? And then they told Jesus about Jesus. His ministry, his crucifixion. And now maybe we've heard, possibly, perhaps, he rose from the dead. Can you believe it? And the Bible says Jesus gently rebuked them for being slow to believe. And then Jesus told them about Jesus from the Old Testament and all their scriptures and the prophets. So when they got to Emmaus, they got home. They, they didn't want this conversation to end and begged this stranger whom they didn't recognize to come in and have dinner with them. So Jesus went down and sat down with them, and the meal was served. The Bible says when Jesus broke the bread and said grace over the meal, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and immediately he was gone. And this is what they said. This is Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, you may know nothing about Jesus and the Bible. In fact, you may be here today and slightly weirded out about all this resurrection talk. And this idea of some deity who's involved in the lives of people is just really too much for you. You can't get it intellectually. But can I suggest that I, I suspect you have something of a burning heart? This morning, And the reason I believe that is because the, my Bible says that the Spirit of God intercedes with the heart of man. God communicates with hearts of humans, and there's just no explanation for that. In fact, in my 40 years of gospel ministry, I've had many situations where I've sat around the bedside of a dying loved one and held hands with people. And I've had many times where wide eyes, expectant couples came to me asking for advice about getting married. And I've had many, many times where I've struggled with someone over the questions of life that did not seem to have an answer. And usually the best thing I could say to them as their pastor is this, didn't our hearts burn within us? Because church, Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus did come from heaven and become a man and lived on this earth just like we do. 
And Jesus did go to the cross and take our sins and our frailty on himself and shed his blood for our salvation. And Jesus did rise from the dead on the third day. And Jesus will come back just like he promised and take us to heaven to live with him forever. In the meantime, our hearts burn. And that is a testimony of the reality of God and the truth that he always reaches out to his people, his creation. We can't explain it, but every one of us has experienced it. So today, because of Easter, we no longer have to live with the guilt and the condemnation of that sin that we were born with, strapped with. And Jesus is the resurrection future and the life present. Can I invite you to stand, please? I'm going to pray with you in just a moment, but we're going to do something really weird. As if we don't do something weird every Sunday. There's a cross back there, and that there's a scripture there that Mary said, I'm sorry, Martha said to her sister Mary, hey, the teacher's here is asking for you. And what we're going to do with that, on, on either side of that, there's some nails and some hammers. And I'm going to invite you, as you're milling around and taking pictures at the photo booth and, and uh, meeting people and things like that, that's all good. I want you to take your time to do that. But I want you, at, before you leave, to make your way back there and pick up a nail and pick up this hammer. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at that nail and see your past. I want you to see that thing that has kept you from living the life you want to live, that thing that has paralyzed you and crippled you, marginalized you. That, but that nail, I want that to represent this thing in your past, and I want you to nail it into that cross and leave it there and walk away from it. Or maybe to you that nail will represent this current situation that you're trying to work out. You think if you can just get to the next thing, your life will, will be okay. You don't need God at all because you think you can work it out on your own. Or maybe you're a Christian and you realize today that you're not living in gratitude. You're not enjoying the life that God created for us because you're wrapped up in career and family and so many things. I want that nail to represent your present that's hindering you from being what God wants you to be and nail it into that cross. Or maybe today that nail represents the postponed hope. That, that your life is miserable and you think, well, if I just get to heaven, I know it'll be better once I get to Maybe you've got a sickness. The doctor's giving you a bad diagnosis. Or maybe you're in a marriage that you don't think is going to make it. Or maybe you've got a business that you're just doing everything you can to, to keep it surviving and your life is just caught up with, with disaster. And, and you know what? Once I'll get to heaven and then everything will be okay. No, listen, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He wants you to have life now. So I want you to take that, that nail that's the hope of your future and put it in there and start living the life that God intended for you to live. Jesus, there's so much of this that we don't understand. There's so much of this word that we have to just take at face value, and that's so hard. But, but I'm confident that everybody in this room has felt or is feeling like me, this burning heart, that there's something, there's just something. I can't explain it. But there's something bigger than me calling to me, drawing me. 
And we know from the Bible that that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing humanity, creation to himself, beloved creation. So Father, this morning we're going to take a step of faith and do this, this action step, this thing where I'm going to take this bondage, this thing that's keeping me from being what you've called me to be, what you've invited me to be, what you paid for me to have. I'm going to nail it to the cross. And we'll walk away and leave it there and walk into the life that you've invited me to. Jesus, if there's someone here today that does not know you in relationship, someone that is dead in their sins, we know that you paid for our sin problem on Calvary. And I pray that they would find the courage today to make a commitment to follow you and let be set free by your blood. Do your work in this place, Jesus, and we thank you for it. Amen.